everybody. Thank you for tuning into the Stuff I Heard podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Peak, and I happen to have my favorite sister-in-law that's married to my brother, Alex. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Josh. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. So um, I kind of wanted to do this podcast because uh, I love you and I miss you, and we normally get to hang out more when we get to do like social things. And last year, COVID put a big halter on that. Plus, you guys live very far away, and it's not really conducive for me to like drop by and visit as often. But um, I want to talk to you about being a teacher and okay. teaching children right now during COVID and how difficult that is, not only as a teacher, but as a drama teacher. You know, um, yes. So teaching in a pandemic. <laughs> teaching so, in a pandemic, um, yes. Teaching in a pandemic. Um when the state decided to close down in March of 2020, um, they said it was for two weeks. So we had two days to prepare um, our online curriculum, like moving everything that we were doing online. And we did it. And um, and we were like, okay, we got this. We can do this for two weeks. And then it was extended one more time. And so we're like, okay, May 1st, we're going to be back in the classroom. We got this. And then it just kept going. Um, So what was great, though, is we had so many people that were like, hey, here's what I'm doing. And so Facebook and other social media platforms became this really great space where we could truly collaborate with each other. And so we were able to share ideas and lesson plans and assessments all on that platform. And so you didn't feel like you were alone in it. Mm -hmm. And then walking back into the building, our schedule changed so much. Like they did a whole comprehensive plan of here's how we're going to do things. And here's the timeline. And this is what, if if the CDC and the state say this, we're going to do this. So we all felt really good walking back in the classroom. So they come up with this plan and it's a 25% plan. So they broke the students up into color groups. So each color was a different day. So if you were blue, you went on Monday, um, green Tuesday, red Wednesday, purple Thursday. And then on Fridays, we all did e-learning. They were trying to use that time to... um, clean the building, do a lot of more sanitizing and stuff like that. So they wanted us all out and at home. So that means that essentially your class roster is, you know, divided by four. Mm -hmm. So if you have a class um, of 20, you know, you've got five students each day. Well, it doesn't quite work like that with the alphabet. Yeah. Because, you know, you're going to have more Monday people than Thursday people. So like one class, I had two people, you know, so there's not a lot you can kind of get done. Well, two days into that, we're all trying to wrap our heads around this. Then they decided we're going to go to 50%. So then they combined groups and you came to school Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday, and again at home on Fridays. So you're not only teaching all these kids in person, But then you're also having to figure out how to teach your lesson online to the students at home as well. Mm -hmm. So making sure like, 
Yeah. I can only imagine like being a drama teacher. Like n- normally this is my perception as a dad who's raised kids and had a kid who was in drama was you prepare for a play and at the end of a semester or the end of a quarter or whatever it is, you have a play that you put on. Or if it's a holiday, you say, let's do a holiday play. And you would have something that people get to prepare for and at the end they get to do their show. They get to show everybody, this is what we learned, like the families and right. the, the school and stuff like that. And I was thinking your job is particularly difficult because you don't necessarily have that option because because of social distancing and because of mm-hmm. the fact that you know, you can't really have all the kids interact together. It's got to be just another layer of, okay, what, what do I teach? How, how do I approach this? And I, I'm sure that yep. you and your colleagues alike were, like you said, trying to collaborate and figure out, well, what do we do here? I mean, did you sort of yeah. break that down so, into like two man plays and <laughs> five man plays and Hey, let's do a back and forth table read or. <laughs> right. Well, um, so in the fall I had, um, a theater one class um at an advanced level so like two three four all mm-hmm. come out in one and a technical theater and so um with theater one i kind of use it as a, a um where you would learn a little bit about everything mm-hmm. so acting directing playwriting designing evaluation i like to do this thing so in case they decide, you know, well, I don't like acting, but I like the designing and stuff. Maybe I could do technical theater. Um, so it was, I definitely had to change the approach on like, well, one, we can't be within six feet of each other. Two, you've got to wear your mask the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so trying to assess somebody um, with uh, vocal changes and um, facial expressions, which is a big part of what we do. Um, it was very, very tough. But um, in the fall, our regulations were there are no performances, there is no audience members, there mm-hmm. are no anything. So we had to rely solely on film. Oh. So we rehearsed a play, but we were able to film it. So it ended up kind of being like a mix between film and theater at the same time. Is there a way um, to do it like like if you were in a Zoom meeting like this where you could go, okay, let's all act out our parts. And then that way at least people are at home and not – Yeah. I mean, is is that possible? So what we use, the online feature, because in our school district, we aren't allowed to use Zoom. Mm-hmm. We have to do a Google Meet. Okay. And only the teacher can set up the Google Meet. Okay. So during class time, if they wanted to like rehearse their lines and stuff um, – I would pull up a Google Meet and let them do that. Um, We would also, we did a little bit of live streaming so Mm -hmm. that people didn't feel like they were kind of missing out on what, but it's kind of hard to carry around the laptop when you're, you know, playing ensemble games. Yeah. Or or if you're at home and you have (laughs) a room full of people like doing life in your your bedroom with three of your siblings and like, what are you doing? You're not doing that. Are you? You're like, come on, I'm trying to, I got a class here. (laughs) Now in the spring, our district decided to, we were able to bring in audience members mm-hmm. and had a limited capacity. Um, but then they added the absolute rule that even the performers, socially distanced or not, had to wear masks at all times. So we oh. have been rehearsing since November. We chose a three-person scene, mm-hmm. uh, a short play. We are doing a competition. So you do a 40-minute one-act play. Um, and I chose the show because I could, 
um, stage it where they were nine feet apart in separate sections of the stage. And they were essentially monologues, so they didn't really interact with each other, mm-hmm. which is a hard concept in itself um, because you don't have the other person to feed, you know, onto and and really, you know, develop your character. So it was, but then when they added that layer of now I've got to cover my face like this, I'm like, show me you're sad with your eyes. Show me you're mad with your eyes. So that was another challenge, but there's nothing we could do because yeah. it wasn't, you know, part of the competition's rules, but it was part of our school district rules. And yeah. so we couldn't be part of it if we didn't do that. So at the end of that, um, we did have a performance. Parents were able to come, socially distance, whatever. And then my seniors, um, they were just like, we don't want to do anymore because it was lost. You know, yeah. those other feelings were lost. And then another experience I had in the spring was I had a completely virtual theater one class. See, I think that would be really cool. Like we were talking about that way you'd be able to do what you need without, without a mask and mm-hmm. you could still you act per think. se. Yeah. You would think, but um, when they opened up the virtual school in our school district um, in the in the fall, they weren't requiring the students to go to the Google Meet. Well, then they didn't have a lot of attendance and, pe- pe- and students weren't doing well. So then they decided to require the Google Meet. Well, now you've already set up the expectation of, I just have to be present. So mm-hmm. there were no cameras on, there were no microphones on. Um, there were some of the students, besides their little cute little round face, that I never actually saw them. Because they would not turn on their camera. Yeah. Um, and you're right. And some of them were sitting in a room with, you know, four brothers. Their family, and yeah. And the baby's running around and the dog's barking and things are going crazy. And so you kind of didn't want them to turn on the camera. Yeah. Um, but I did offer the other, you know, um, venues of recording yourself, um, unmuting for the specific time. Um, you know, that kind of stuff to try to bring in a little bit more interaction, but um, to try to give them that same experience that the students in the classroom are getting. You know, I didn't want them to feel like they were shortchanged, yeah. but um, they weren't responding to the lessons like the ones. It's harder to get in, you know, into a pantomime without the audience reaction. Yeah. And so like you're sitting at home and you feel kind of dumb pretending that you're eating a piece of pie. But in class, oh, yeah, I know what you're doing. You're eating a piece of bath, and it's exciting. I was just talking to someone recently about how every time we go through some type of global situation or hardship is when a lot of creativity comes out. So maybe maybe some of this that everybody's dealt with has caused a lot of not only adults but kids to go – Okay, if this ever comes up again, where where do I want my expression to be, or where do I want my ingenuity to be, or where do I want my idea to live, and can I do it myself? I mean, maybe this mm-hmm. maybe this will spark a lot of imagination of a lot of people to go, how do I think outside of this situation if it ever pops up again? So, I mean, maybe okay. from this comes something really great. I mean, but for a lot of people, I think that twenty twenty is kind of be like their 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 lost year. I mean, it's just. Yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. do much that year. I mean, some people got really into fitness. 
Some people got really into fitting things in their mouth, you know, <laughs> included uh, all the weight I'd lost doing keto. I gained it all back. I know, that? <laughs> Suddenly I'm like, Hey, like... when did my pants shrink? And my wife's like, they didn't shrink. I'm like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> I know. Like what is happening? Yeah. What's going now, on here? And, and that's what I'd hope that my class would just, and I try not, I don't make it rocket science. Yeah. You know, like I want it to be, like you said, a creative outlet. Cause I know you've got, you know, these other classes that are really and truly demanding on your mind. And so this might give you just something fun to do. And, and one of my virtual students was like, I really look forward to doing your work because it gave me some other side of my brain to use besides, you know, math. Yeah. So, well, and also know. I was thinking about you when, whenever all this was going on, um, you know, art imitates life in a way. And so in a lot of the movies that were coming out on like Netflix and HBO and stuff like that, I noticed that even though they were grand productions, they were done with limited cast. So there may be only like six members of the entire cast mm-hmm. that you see on screen. And I was like, Oh, this is a, this is because of this, like because of the yep. pandemic and because they're trying to limit the people in contact They've yeah. probably gotten just a small select group of people and went, what can we do with this? And they go, I got this script that's been sitting here for a while. It's not really great, but we could do it with this cast. <laughs> and I thought, that's right. like, like all the behind the scenes right. start going through my brain of production. And, you know, it's sort of like a play, except for the fact that maybe you're in space or maybe there's aliens, but you've only got like maybe eight members of the whole cast or five members of the whole yeah. cast. And you're like, I kind of see what they and did here. This was, is pretty clever. It was really... Um, neat how some of my favorite shows they they weren't planning to you know when they were you know writing the next season but they brought the pandemic into it like how did this fit into my world yeah and so some of them did it you know right off the bat you know and you could tell I mean they were legit filming six feet apart you know on this lot you know because safety first and so they were getting COVID tested in the morning and a lot of the celebrities would do it again for you guys. You know, our season's coming. You just got to be patient because it did take longer because yeah. you only had like five people on the set that day that ha- were in that pod. Um, my sister did um, some work for Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta mm-hmm. in December. And they require one for you to quarantine 10 days before you come to the lot. Mm-hmm. Two, you had to get COVID tested like every day. And then when you entered the lot, you didn't leave. Yeah. They had, um, you know, rooms set up or like almost like a barrack, like for everybody. They had a restaurant, they had a nail studio, they had everything going on and they had three shows in production. And so once you entered the bubble, you didn't leave. Yeah. So if there was even a possibility that you might be filming something in three days, they were still going to pay you to be there. I heard about that with, um, you know, Burt Kreischer's obviously my favorite comedian. He was on uh, a show called uh, Go Big, the Go Big show was on TBS with Snoop Dogg and, you know, Rosario Dawson and uh, Cody Rose, a bunch of people. It was like a competition game show and he was sort of the host, but he talked about being in the bubble for... I think it was maybe three weeks that they shot the whole thing, but they required them for two weeks to be in quarantine. And then he described the, like the bubble setting of they weren't allowed to leave. They had to stay in their trailers. They could only associate with each other. Um, 
you know, and then they got tested daily just to make sure nobody got COVID. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about, about your sister as well. You know, if, if she was able to work during this time and if so, how, you know, what extremes was she having to go to and stuff like that. And, you know, for the people listening at home that don't know, um, your sister is an actor and stunt woman and has been in lots of things that they've probably never even noticed she was in. (laughs) I was telling Alex, I said, uh, when uh, shadow and bone came on in Netflix, I thought, wait, is that Adrian? And I was like, that's not Adrian. I like, I had to Google it because it looks so much like her. And I was like, I wonder if she just don't yeah, like this girl, she me. looks so much like her. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she, they didn't work a lot um, between March and gosh, probably September. Um, and then it was extreme testing. Mm-hmm. So like they would start, you know, that 10 to 14 days in advance and um, you had to get tested every day. Um, now as a teacher, did you have to go through testing or was it, uh, was it just let's wait and let's get you guys vaccinated or. Um, we only were asked to do testing if we were exposed. So, um, they had guidelines set up, set out, but, um, our friend, um, contracted COVID in October. And so we had been around him all weekend, you know, in close contact. And so uh, we had to quarantine for, they had knocked it down to like, I think we had to do 14 mm-hmm. for him. And then our son's daycare um, asked us to do 16 days with him. So we were out with him for an additional amount of time. And then his class got shut down about a week and a half after. So we didn't have to quarantine because the school, our school district looked at it as an exposure to an exposure. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't have to quarantine, but we did have to like take off days in order to stay home with him. And then my husband, Alex, um, contracted it in January. So we had to quarantine again. So Scarlett and I were home for 10 days before the school district and then Caden was 16. So it's, we've, he and I both talked about, we had missed more days this school year than any other school year ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not physically being in the building because um, even when I had my children, I had them in the summer. So I missed a couple of, you know, weeks at the beginning, but it wasn't like, because I mean, if you count up, our two quarantine weeks, Caden's quarantine, and then just random illnesses. You know, it was probably five weeks of school. We were not present. Mm. Wow. Goodness. Um, <clears throat> well, um, kind of switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about something else. Uh, this okay. is called Stuff I Heard, and I kind of texted you the other day to see if you saw the Friends reunion. I did. Yay! I loved it. I don't know what you thought. I mean, I... I I know you said you, it wasn't really what you expected, but uh, I I didn't expect them to do another episode like here they are now. And I don't know about you, but like I was I was just fully prepared to see them now, and and I sort of wanted to see how bad Matthew Perry was. Like I knew he had been in recovery, and I knew that a lot of stuff was going on. And even before we started watching it, my, it had been out for a few days before I watched it. My wife said, "Oh, I've read online that Matthew." Perry's uh, voice is a little bit slower because he had dental work done the day before they filmed this. So he had, apparently he had extensive dental work done. So he was sort of having a hard time speaking, but you know, 
I, it was sad to hear that he went through the drug addiction that he'd gone through, you know, knowing that he was as close personal friends with uh, Chris Farley as he was. And of course, Chris Farley was known to party hard and, and then they were basically best friends. And when Chris Farley overdosed and died, I mean, it was so tragic, but you could see that transformation in him on screen as he was trying to figure out how to pick up the broken pieces from that. And so, I mean, this show started off with like, like people commented on the show, these were our friends. Like this reflected a moment in our life, you know, between our twenties and thirties where you sort of have options and you're sort of like, what, what do I do? I'm an, I'm sort of an adult now and I sort of have some money and I can sort of choose some paths here. And sometimes you make a wrong choice and it reflects in, you know, you were on a break or (laughs) some, Uh, sometimes you put on leather pants and realize that you can't pull them back up. You know, all the crazy stuff that you kind of go through in your twenties, this sort of reflected some of that, but also you knew that you could turn it on at any time. And immediately, even if your friends weren't around, you felt like you were with your friends. No, I completely agree. It was one of those shows and and I love how the writers stayed true to the, this is the time in your life and your friends are your family. And they really carried that theme throughout. And so when they reached that point where now my family is going to be my family, especially with Monica and Chandler and then Ralph and Rachel and, you know, CB and, and Mike, you know, they were making those choices. And so, and then they sent Joey off on his own, which was terrible. Um, but yeah, so I'd had, I don't know, I guess it was just wishful thinking that I wanted to be like the friends reunion, like where they were getting back together and their characters, just to, just to make sure that Ross and Rachel are still together or yeah. you know, what did the kids look like? And so I got my hopes up that it was that, but I was, you know, I did that to myself. <laughs> so I yeah. did not do the research. And so, but and I really enjoyed the, their commentary back and forth. And but there were a couple of moments. Um, Alex showed me a clip where when they were all talking to each other about who calls who and who sends the text. And Matthew was like, nobody calls me. And it was a joke because everybody laughed, but they took the laughter out. Yeah. And it was just like, oh man, is that true? No. Like, do they, they call him? <laughs> no, but I did hear, I've, I've heard David Schwimmer say before that um, he really felt typecasted after he got done with friends and that everybody expected him to be like Ross. And he's like, I'm, that's not, that was a character. Like he was a legitimate Broadway play actor before this started. And it was interesting to see that he was the first cast member that they went after. And I know when you watch production of him, like they showed a little clip of him in production. I'm like, Oh yeah, absolutely. He's the, he is Ross. He is that anchor of the show. And he really is the anchor of the show. I mean, even the, the segment where they have the costuming come out with celebrities wearing the costumes, they were all his costumes. And I was like, yep. except for the wearing all the clothes, obviously that was Joey wearing all of Chandler's clothes. <laughs> but who, who was your favorite character? Um, watching the show. I, I mean, it, it was hard not to relate to Joey in a lot of ways, but I liked Chandler's witty comebacks a lot. Yeah. Um, I loved Phoebe for her free nature. I really <laughs> felt like like I could be really good friends with Phoebe if I met her, like, you know, in real life. She, she I don't know, there's something flighty and yet really solid about her that she was, she's the kind of person that would walk up to you and be like, do you believe in dragons? Don't look now, there's one over your shoulder, you know, and just walk away and be like, <laughs> you know, there's something about her personality that that made me 
relate to her a lot. Um, I guess in a way my wife sort of is Monica. I mean, she is a neat freak. She is, she loves the people to, even though she says she's not a people person, she loves for people to come over and to host things. And, you know, she always has that one area of the house. Don't go in that drawer. You know, don't go in, don't open that door and look at the closet. You know? <laughs> That's right. uh, I don't know. Um, there, you just pointed out like the, the best features of very characters that yeah. you, know, you want, you know, cause they are, Oh, well, this person reminds you of this one and, and yeah. they brought those character traits. And they and really Ross, did bring him through. And Ross made it cool to be nerdy. Like he made it cool to care about dinosaurs again, where a lot of people had kind of sort of not kept talking about dinosaurs. He was like the dinosaur kid who grew up to be a giant man and still loved dinosaurs. And, and we loved him for it. Like it was that innocent nature of, which reminds me a lot of Alex. I mean, Alex still has that playful nature of, I want to do the thing that's cool. Let's do it. You know, it's that, that excitement that yeah. you you root for and you, and you secretly want to have, but you feel like you're uncool if you do it. And, and Ross's character was just like, don't I, you know, (laughs) I love dinosaurs. You know, it's like, he just kept, he couldn't wait to geek out about the things he was passionate about. And it sort of, it sort of green lights people to be okay with the thing they're into. If that makes any sense. And, and and in a way, Phoebe did that too with her smelly cat. I mean, (laughs) it's, what a bad song but people are like yeah it's bb yeah sure we love her for it why not you know i saw a clip this morning with courtney cox on instagram and you know where uh phoebe decided that the lyrics to tiny dancer were tony danza yeah and so um courtney cox is playing the piano with elton john and ed sheeran and they're singing Tiny Dancer in CD's version. And so here's Elton John singing his song, um, I Love You, Tony Danza. That's so awesome. It was hilarious. Well, and I loved how the show, you know, again, we we talked about, you know, it was was about friends, but it became a a bigger than life thing because like they mentioned, suddenly we were on Rolling Stone magazine and they're like, I can't believe that this is transcended into this other thing. And then it also has been broadcast all over the world in multi-languages. And I think the the statistic was something crazy, like 12 billion times has been watched or something like that. Some some ridiculous high number that you're like, holy crap. So it's hard to, for any culture to really say they've never heard of Friends or seen Friends. Right. And yeah, it's definitely one of those. I wonder if kids today even know what Friends are, like kids that are born like in the last 10 years, if they have any idea what Friends is. Um, for sure. Some of the ones that are in high school now, because it was on Netflix for so long, mm-hmm. um, that they've watched it. Um, and same with like Grey's Anatomy and, um, a couple of those other shows where they were doing the binge watching thing. And mm-hmm. so it didn't come out, you know, <laughs> before they were born. Um, but they went back and watched them. Um, so Netflix has given them easy access to go back and watch these n- nostalgic, you know, TV shows. Um, and Hulu a little bit, but Hulu is very subjective on it. They're going to put like the whole seasons. <laughs> Hulu is a little when, difficult um, to navigate sometimes. I mean, it's it be. for me personally, I'm just like, I'm looking for the show. Why don't you let me find this show? And I keep having to search and search. And I'm, and, I know. 
And of course I'm, I'm piggybacking off of someone's and it's got commercials and I hate commercials. And I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> I know I did the, when we upgraded to Hulu TV, I did the no ads option. Um, so when your mom was here for the two weeks, um, oh. I talked to her about this is us and it's a NBC show. Um, and so I was like, have you ever watched the show? And she's like, no, I've never heard of it. And so for me personally, and this is a big thing for me to say, because I'm very subjective about my favorites, but the pilot episode of This Is Us is the best first episode of television I've ever seen. Like after I got done watching it, I was like, did that just happen? Did I watch that? And so I immediately started over and watched it again because it has these twists and turns that you don't even realize until you get to the end and you realize you've been walking through like multiple timelines oh. of these people's lives. Oh. And so um, it, it was super cool because Hulu put all of the seasons on there. So for the last two weeks, we've been, I've seen all of them, but I was introducing your mom to um, the whole show. And so like, we would watch a couple episodes and then I'd go take a nap and then um, I'd come back and she's already in the next season. And so <laughs> we, um, yeah. we got to watch it. I, um, I've seen a lot of people tell me I need to watch it. And I've also heard a lot of people say they cry a lot when they watch it. And yep. uh, I'm an easy crier. Yep. So I, I don't know if I'm signed yep. up for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan Fogelman, he, if nothing else, like he will make you cry, but he also like hits those nerves of, just making you think mm-hmm. about just life in general and all these different things. And then he'll make you laugh just as much as you cry. So, I mean, definitely get some tissues prepared. Um, but it's, I've never been so intrigued after like the first episode. Cause I didn't watch it um, for like the first six months. I think I was like, oh, everybody's talking about it. I don't know. I like Mandy more, but I don't know. And so then finally I was like, Alex had an away game. Caden was a baby. And I was just like, all right, well, I'll watch the first one. And then I was like, oh my gosh. And then I immediately watched it again. <laughs> I tell you, um, you got me to watch uh, Handmaid's Tale by talking about it so much. So I, I pushed through, I want to say the first season and a half, and I, and I felt like a cinder block was on my chest and I was like, I can't watch yeah. anymore. Like I had to walk away from it. I just, I was like, I can't, I, I can't. No. And it's one of those shows that I never tell somebody like, <sighs> it's not one of those where you can be like, I love this show. Yeah. Um, it's one of those that you're like, yeah, you should watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you can't really put any words on it, but it's just, and especially just, being a woman and how they portrayed them in this show and being a wife and a mother and a teacher and, you know, all these different aspects of your life and the things that they can take away. And then the things that are happening in our country, it's a hard parallel sometimes. So um, I feel like I'm really invested. So I have caught up in season four, but um, there's just been some, it really kind of dragged on. And so now they're kind of giving them a little bit of closure. Yeah. Maybe you think they're wrapping it up? I don't know if they're gonna, I think that they are wrapping up June's story for a little while. 
unless um, in 2017, Margaret Atwood, who wrote the original book, she started working on the original book in 1981. It was published in 1986. And so these themes, I watched this interview with her. She didn't put anything in the book and they drew the first season of the show directly from the book. She never put anything in the book that happened to any character that she couldn't find documentation that it happened to somebody somewhere in some country. And so you're watching life, um, art imitate life Mm -hmm. in its most horrific form. Um, But she wrote a another part to the book. And so it's called the Testament. And so it takes place about 40 to 75 years after um, the fall of Gilead. So there is an end. And we knew that in the Handmaid's Tale because there are, you know, documents of her giving her testimony about what happened to her. But you never got closure of what actually happened to you you knew what happened to her when she was in Gilead but you didn't know where she went after that and so the testament takes you through what happens to June um, her daughter Hannah and her daughter Nicole and so um, I don't know it feels like to me that they are taking the characters in the situations that lead them into the testament so maybe season five and six are going to be more about what happens to Hannah and Nicole than Jean. Because mm-hmm. there's another big storyline in the Testament with the aunt, Lydia, who's like the false lady, the mean one. And so she sort of, sort of kind of redeems herself a little bit in the Testament. But... I felt like they were trying to bring that part of her character into focus this season. So if, if that is the case, then they would be taking it to the Testament level. I can tell my friends on Facebook who are watching it actively because when the new season came out, they were commenting on a regular basis. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I was like, (laughs) God, I got to catch up. But also I was like, I don't know if I want to jump back in there. I don't know if I want to. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it has definitely been, the hardest yeah one of the hardest shows to watch did you watch the morning show that was on apple tv right Mm -hmm. i haven't seen that so just for me it was steve carell jennifer aniston reese witherspoon and i'm like this is a great show i could watch it with the kids i mean it's steve and after the third f-bomb in the five minutes of the show I was like I think I'm gonna save this and watch it when they're not in the room um but it was also one of the hardest shows I've ever had to watch Mm. um sort of um so morning show taking you through the ins and outs of television journalism but they're breaking the stories of the me too Mm. um you know in in the world and so it was kind of like right after that movement started that they brought that into that show. So the concept of that show, you know, changed um, as they were writing it. And yeah. so um, these two daring female journalists and taking down um, one of their colleagues. And so it was, it was also one of the 
the hardest ones to watch as well. That's like what was the so, show? Uh, newsroom was that the name? Oh, of that's that? so great! Yeah. yeah, I mean they they were dealing with a lot going on with well, this is pre Black Lives Matter, but you know a lot of the stuff that was going on then, and it was actively like you'd watch the news and they would you know have to draft a show based around it, and then things with politics going on at the time. You know, I heard uh, Sorkin say that one time he's like, it just got to be too much. Like they just, yeah. they there was so much going they, on. I think they only did two seasons. Yeah. They, it was just like vague. Um, now I there's did, rumor they're uh, going to come back and do another season. Like I've, oh, I've seen that amazing. online that they're talking about coming back and doing another one. But I was like, boy, talk about <sighs> jumping right back into it. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot going on. <laughs> but also so, like... As a storyteller, as a, I'm sure as a writer and a director, you know, he's probably looking at it as, yeah, but I got this story I want to tell. I mean, I'm sure that's how yeah. it started to begin with. It's, it's, I have a, yep. like, to me, their pilot episode was the tagline of the entire show. You know, when the young lady says, why is America the best country? And, and he goes on a rant of saying it's not and, and all the reasons why it's not. Yep. But then also puts on the end, but we have hope. And okay. so that tagline of the show was sort of the 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 backbone of it all even while they were trying to trudge through everything that was going on they still had a backbone of but we still have hope and i'm sure that he's sat on so much has gone on in the last i don't know how many years since that show has been on but there's plenty of content that's been out there for him to write about and to have an opinion on and to now that time has happened and we see sort of the um the aftermath of everything, there is sort of a story to tell that I think a lot of people could relate to and, and learn from and possibly enjoy. But again, it might be one of those shows that's hard to watch. Um, Of course, you know, in the history of the way things have gone, there's always been a very heavy show and then there's something really light that kind of takes your mind off of it. And I mean, with every heaviness, you get something that's super enjoyable that you can just turn on at any time. For a long time for us here at the house, it was Big Bang Theory. We would turn that on and I mean, we could just mindlessly have it on. And even if we weren't in the room, we'd walk through the room and it's on and we'd sit down and once in a while we'd laugh and it was, it was fun. Again, it was like friends. It was, let's hang out with our friends and see what they're up to. Yeah. And you know, it's, I guess we all sort of need something like that in our lives. I tried to do that recently because um, I was out obviously with an injury and I had some time on my hands and I started watching the Sopranos from season one and man, that is not an easy watch either. <laughs> no, but um, it, it yeah. got to where we would watch an episode a night or maybe two, but you know, some of it was like, Oh, you know, our grandson's here. We got to turn turn it off. (laughs) There's a lot of language here. Let's turn this off. Mom's calling her. That's right. "Ah." You know, but Um, it's, it's, it it was a great show. And and I, I honestly had not seen it when it was on HBO to begin with. I'd caught episodes here and there, but I never watched it through. So even watching it through, I'm like, I don't know that I've seen more than one episode of the first season. Like watching it, I was like, that's right. I don't remember any of this, you know. But. I know Alex went through and watched it, and I, but I was like, you, I just caught the, I watched the episode here, and oh, that guy died. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't understand the, like, sometimes I'd turn it on, I'm like, I don't really know who the characters are, but you could kind of get the gist of what's going on. Right. But I was still like, eh. 
but also like it watching it from the beginning, it made me really appreciate Jan, James Gandolfini and the, the character that he was and the character he created yeah. and just his timing on some of the things that he did. I mean, you know, that behind the scenes, there's a camera there and there's craft services and he's giving you this, this all gut wrenching, emotional, full, you know, mm-hmm. presence of, of the boss you're supposed to hate that you feel for. I mean, he was, in a lot of ways, to me, he was the beginning of what became Breaking Bad. He was the bad guy that you liked. He was the bad guy you rooted for. Even yeah. when he did horrible things, you were like, yeah, oh, good. He's, he's doing something horrible, but I'm rooting for him. Like It was very <laughs> strange the way they wrote it and the way he portrayed it. Because you could, you could understand how he ended up that way. And you go, yeah, okay, I guess if I were in that situation, maybe I would fall into this character. Or maybe I would be this guy or this girl or... In this situation, yeah. I might be the guy that's at, you know, in the restaurant and just friends with him. And, you know, I don't know. It's, it's very interesting how a lot of this reflects what we're going through. But also it makes me a little bit uh, anxious to see what's coming up. Um, there is a lot. Like I talked to a guy recently about, you know, superhero movies being the big thing and how we all watch them because we want to somehow see ourselves as, you know, invincible or able to do something great. But in that process, like it is a moment for us to tell a real life story about our emotions and about our own failures and our own flaws. And I do like the fact that some of the shows now are coming out with characters, even though they have superpowers, are not super people. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was very brave of of Amazon to adapt a show called The Boys, where these guys have superpowers, but they're doing really horrible things. And it's like, oh, I guess I never really thought of it that way. I guess you could be that kind of symbol <laughs> in a very um a very loosely based thing alex and i were just looking for one of those we just want to laugh so yeah. you know movies or whatever and we're going through hbo and don't tell mom the babysitter's dead is on there and i used to love watching the scene and but this is the first time i've ever watched that as an adult and i'm like these are terrible decisions that these yeah. children are making. <laughs> yeah. And so, but then you're like, he's like, but can you see some of our students making these decisions? Like, oh, the babysitter died. So of course our, our um, first thought is to put her in the trunk and leave her at the mortuary. Yeah. <laughs> and she would want us to drive her car to the pizza place <laughs> and have yeah. drag queens steal it. <laughs> <laughs> you know or yes i should get a job and copy the resume out of the resume book because obviously that's like the best thing ever free internet like, i mean all that makes sense <laughs> now, now, they, now they go online and go oh i could do this i've watched a youtube video on how to do it <laughs> oh yeah yeah for sure <laughs> yeah um, well i mean uh, I, go ahead so nostalgia with the friends reunion coming out. I saw a tweet from um, about Sex in the City premiered 23 years ago yesterday. What? 23? I know. <laughs> so um, I love Cynthia Nixon, and I follow her. I followed her. Uh, she actually ran for the governor of New York mm-hmm. last election season, and so. Um, but she posted like two pictures of them and she was like, best job in the world. I've had it for 23 years. And I was like, what? Yeah. Just wanted to throw that out out there. That's a whole, uh, yeah. 
That, that's, they're that's bringing okay. that one back actually as a show in character though. Um, with with new characters? No, well, it's going to be... Um, I really hope it's new characters because they're not young ladies anymore. They it's are be not. Really, but it's going to be really hard to tell the story now from this point of view. The only one that's not coming back is the Samantha. one that played Samantha. Yeah. But so She's, they'll have Sarah Jessica Parker, Kristen Davis, and Cynthia Nixon back. I don't know how large of a, if it's going to just revolve around them again, or if it's going to kind of be like them and their role now, like kind of well, mentoring the new. Maybe like Boy Meets World, where it's about right, the kids. Right. Yeah. And they happen um, to be there for commentary with their kids along the way, maybe. Right. So I'm not quite sure. Because um, to me, that's, talk- that's the only way you can really continue the story. Because, I mean, at this point in their lives, what is it going to be? You know, menopause in a city? I mean, mm-hmm. it's that's the age that they're, they're at now. So it would, it would right. I would think they would have to do it after their children or, you know, some iteration of that. Like you said, 23 years ago, that's a whole... That's a whole 20-year-old ago. I mean, geez. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. You know, what happened to Big? I mean, is he still around? <laughs> you know. I, well, in the second, well, in the first movie, you know, their relationship, she, he left her at the altar, but then they get married. And so in the second one, they are married. But I don't know. You don't really know what happens to him after that. Yeah. Well, I've heard that Netflix is really suffering for content. And so they've started like remaking old cartoons. So apparently they have He-Man and She-Ra coming out soon. <gasps> oh, I loved that uh, when I was little. The only thing I'm really excited about is the fact that Mark Hamill is playing the voice of Skeletor. <gasps> which, I mean, he was great as the Joker in, in the, Bat- yeah. the Batman Dark Knight series. So, I mean, I know he's a good voice actor. Um Matter of fact, I watched a, a there's a cartoon on Amazon. It's it's not kid friendly at all. It's called Invincible. It's based on a, a dark comic about this these superheroes that this this one guy has a kid and he's from another planet and you think that he's supposed to be like the ultimate great guy and turns out no, he's just there to destroy every other superhero because there can only be one. Like he sort of has the Highlander approach and yet he can't kill his own son because he loves him. And there's, it's very dark and it's very disturbing. And Mark Hamill's one of the voices. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, ah, that's Luke Skywalker. Hey, cool. <laughs> he has found his niche. He was yeah. voted the best Joker. Oh, absolutely. He's my favorite Joker. Uh, I had Josh Stradaway on here not long ago and we were talking about favorite Batmans and favorite Jokers. And he goes, he goes, I'm going to tell you who my favorite villain is. And I was like, okay. Like he's just out of the blue. He goes, <laughs> he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger is Dr. Freeze. And I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> I said, did you okay, just hear what you yeah. just said? And he's like, I loved him as a villain. And I was like, really? <laughs> so I mocked him ridiculously for it. <laughs> um, it was definitely a memorable, yeah. uh, a memorable villain. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Josh, if you're listening, I know you are. Uh, I still love you and you're wrong, but I still, <laughs> <laughs> but I told him I would go back and watch it again. And it sort of, I, I haven't done it yet, but it sort of reminds me, yeah, I should go back and watch it again. Cause maybe, I mean, I doubt it has merit, but maybe it might have a little merit. I mean, I, 
it may have been a time in my life where I wasn't warming up to the idea because they were so 80s and over the top campy at the time. Uh, was Dr. Freeze and was it Uma Thurman? Yeah, were they in the Ivy. same one? Yep. Yeah, no. Yeah. We don't, we're not remembering them. No, it was, no. to me, it was terrible. It was sad. It was yeah. sad. Yeah. I, I love Michael Keaton. He can say his Batman. I'm fine with that. So. He was he was funny. Like um, he also had an idea that, that there was a best there was a better Batman and then a better Bruce Wayne. Like he thought that George Clooney was a better Bruce Wayne because mm-hmm. of his because of the, his look and his dapper yep. the way he talked, the way he handled himself, which is mm-hmm. that's that's pretty viable. Um, yeah. But I sure. think he said that Val Kilmer was his favorite Batman, and I was like, all right, we're done with this discussion. Like, I'm sorry, no, you're wrong. No. I liked Christian I mean, Bale as Batman except Christian. for the voice. The voice really was wrong. <laughs> well, he just got deeper. Like it started out with five in yeah. um The Dark Knight Rises, but by the time we got to the third one and they were just like They could have done <laughs> what they did with Star Wars and just had him dub a voice later or have him mic'd <laughs> up or something. He didn't need to <laughs> I mean, come on. Seriously. I know he's a method actor and all, but somebody needed to step in and be like, listen, let's just do this in post because this would sound way better. You know, I think they just got to the point where they're like, we're going to fish this up. So we don't have to listen to him talk to Maybe. Or maybe he was just that big <laughs> of a star that, that he was like, listen, I believe in this. And they're like, okay. He, I mean, he's all right. right so far. Let's just go really okay. with it. I like him and everything I mean, else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the voice is definitely kind of like a... But isn't Robert Pattinson set to be the next Batman? I think so. And I didn't mind Ben Affleck's Batman. I didn't mind Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne. Uh, I as, mean, he's as like Batman, definitely jacked up Batman, but... As Batman, he's... he he's To me, he's uh, a little too old to be playing Batman. I mean, if, if they'd have done... I mean, obviously, they couldn't have done him any younger because he was going through so much then, but I mean... Like if they'd have gotten him after he did the town to play Batman, he was but in shape. Wasn't that, so this is because he was Batman and Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. And so, but wasn't that kind of the point? Like he went away, he wasn't Batman for a while. Now he's back. He's got to come out of retirement. Maybe. And I, I got to be old. Maybe. But I really think they did a terrible job of, you know, first of all, Suicide Squad. And Jared Leto is not the Joker. I'm sorry. They did a terrible job of that. I like Jared Leto as a lot of characters, but that's that's mm-hmm. the worst one he's played so far, in my opinion. Um, but they rushed Suicide Squad, in my opinion. And sure. I think they were in their minds playing catch up to Marvel because they realized, oh, crap, we haven't done the legwork to do what they're doing they really had a two pony show between Batman and Superman movies over and over again of just casting new people and retelling stories, even though Henry Cavill to me encapsulates everything that Superman should oh, have been he's great. and has done the yeah. best job since, um, uh, Christopher Reeves did it. I mean, Christopher Reeves, you go back and watch the, the Superman, the first one, Christopher Reeves, is Superman. I mean, he looks, yeah. the part. he is the part he is. And, and Henry Cavill is man of steel does the yeah. same thing. I mean, he, he fills those shoes very well um, with everything. I mean, even, even his timing and the way he, you know, the way he has reverence for his family and, and, you know, you can cast Diane Lane in anything and I'll watch it. I mean, that's just, uh, oh, yeah. even if she is, you know, his mom and Martha, mm, Diane Lane, 
Dialing. Like, she's, she's friends, fantastic. Facebook friend me. I mean, just saying. Oh, yeah. We love you. <laughs> My wife understands. Trust me. We talked about it. <laughs> Even she calls you I the saw her girl. And <laughs> that dad used to love to watch the Lonesome Dove series. Mm-hmm. And she's in that. And she's like super, super young. And the wide-eyed ingenue. And she's, she's great. Well, see, I, and I thought they did a great job with the Man of Steel show. I mean, the having the movie with Kevin Costner playing his dad and, you know, the, even the whole storyline of all of that, they did great retelling yeah. it a different way, but then they missed steps along the way to catch up to Marvel they did. and they really rushed the, the storyline. And, you know, as much as people say that they like to watch the Marvel movies and, you know, the, the Iron Man versus Captain America thing, I felt that that was rushed too. I felt that there was, they were trying to create a conflict there where there didn't really need to be a conflict as much just to have the story move forward. And I don't know. I expected more. Well, um, in some of the commentary about Civil War, it wasn't intended to Mm -hmm. be that um, because that was supposed to be another almost standalone Captain America movie. Mm -hmm. And I think they wanted to kind of capitalize on that success and that chemistry that Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. have. And so then that's when they brought in, and it was a good way to introduce Spider-Man to that. And bring, they got to bring Ant-Man in, which was wildly Mm -hmm. popular. Uh, You got to see more of the Hulk, which who doesn't love more Hulk? Um, You know, so, I mean, I, I understand why they did it. And it also like the baseline of that whole story was just Tony being fearful for the bigger thing coming that no one else could see coming. And that was the underlying thing they didn't, to me, they didn't harp on enough. Um, but you got to see more of it when Thanos arrived. So in a lot of ways you go, see, Tony was right the whole time, you know. <laughs> but again, DC kind of dropped the ball on that and, you know, rushed their character development, rushed their lines, rushed that the people sure. in my choice. Uh, and Aquaman, which I still argue is a comedy. Most people don't see it that way. Uh, but they haven't watched it with me talking about Little Mermaid the whole time and sand chafing and why are you wearing jeans? We're running in the water and, oh, look, it's Boba Fett. Boba Fett's your dad? Dude, you know, yeah. I, I had my wife cracking up the whole time we were watching it. She was like, you got to stop. I was like, this is hilarious. <laughs> Listen, Jason Momoa is a beautiful man and uh, that was a terrible movie. <laughs> it was like great. It, it was great. not great. It did great money, but it was not a great movie. <laughs> well, thank goodness for Wonder Woman yes. for them to just yes. keep going. Now, the uh, Wonder not Woman. 1984. No, 1984 was no. awful. <laughs> no, no, no. Just Wonder Woman. Um, yeah. Just the one. Um, was was really their saving grace, you know, for a long time. Yeah. Because they were just, like you said, they were missing steps and they were trying to do what Marvel did, but Marvel started slow started them in 2008 yeah you know when they built on it for 14 years they weren't just like hey we're gonna release them in three years let's go and it's only because john favreau wouldn't leave stan lee alone (laughs) he just kept saying come on i really have this idea and he's like no one's gonna watch this (laughs) Uh, 
John and John Favreau wouldn't leave him alone. He's like, I want to make this movie. I got a, I got a plan. And then he talked, to, he talked to uh, Robert Downey Jr. into playing the part. And he goes, he's the perfect guy. He's the recovering he alcoholic and the drug uh, addict, and and he's totally believable to be this billionaire, you know, playboy, right. accidental superhero guy that just is clever. And well, you know, um, Iron Man is my favorite. So yeah. I feel like I have a little bit of Iron Man in me now. So for my hip replacement, I have a titanium rod in my finger. So I'm Iron Man on the left side of my body. On the left side of your body. <laughs> so, okay, so we haven't talked about that, but you recently had a hip replacement. Um, I did. Will that make you, I guess... One of my jokes always going into things is when people have something replaced, I go, Did you get the bionic one? So when you move it, it goes, you know, like the, the bionic man was supposed to do years um, ago. That'd be really nice. I mean, maybe um, it whistles. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, like in Family Guy, when the guy with the like trombone and the cymbals follows Peter around like all yeah. day, and they've always wanted like my own personal like band following me around so but no it does not make any it does not make any noise but apparently it's stronger now so we don't quite trust each other yet oh okay but. okay there's <laughs> got to be like a discussion in a heart-to-heart maybe a bubble bath i mean i guess you, know, and you look in each other's eyes and sort of make a connection and <laughs> that's right well i mean I maybe a, maybe a trust there, fall you have a trust fall <laughs> no i don't want to fall i don't want to do that um but yeah, so just, you know, having the reoccurring pain after over the last four years, I, I haven't relied on that leg very much. And so now it's the stronger one. So I have to learn how to trust that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, I, I got to walk with my, my new cane yesterday. Oh, cool. I know. So, um, so what is it there? Now... I I know very little about this other than the fact that you had a lot of pain going on and you had to have your hip replaced. That was kind of the extent of the conversation that I got. But um, is this just one hip that needs to be done or is this possibly both hips that need to be done eventually? Um, I may have to have the other one done eventually. Um, I just had reoccurring pain over, you know, the last four or five years and just making excuses of, Oh, I pulled something because the pain was in different areas, you mm-hmm. know, like in my back or in the side or in my knee. And so it's like, well, I don't know, it just hurts. Um, and then after so long, I noticed I didn't have range of motion. Like I couldn't sit crisscross applesauce or I couldn't lift my leg up very far. And I was like, well, that's not normal. Um, but you know that we're in a family where we have exercise science majors and we have doctors and we have, you know, um, Reagan is an athletic trainer and so we were, I was getting all this advice and I'm trying these exercises and all these things to do um, but um, during quarantine we were just trying to find those things to do as a family and um, we went on some family walks and I would come back and I was like I can't move for the rest of the day I was like this is not normal mm-hmm. so I need to find out what's going on so but everything was taking so much longer I had the initial appointment in the first of June with my family doctor and I didn't get the diagnosis until August because everything was so backed up and spaced out and all of these things that I was doing were elective procedures. Mm -hmm. And so to get an x-ray, to get an MRI, to get an ultrasound, 
you had to wait so long because they weren't scheduling them every day or they would schedule like three for a day. Um, and so by the time I got there, it was grade four osteoarthritis in the left hip. I didn't have any cartilage left in the area. Um, I began to develop bone spurs around the ball in the hip and it was just basically he didn't want to try the cortisone or anything like that. And it was just like, you're going to need a new one. <laughs> okay. So this is, this is uh, concerning to me because uh, after I went back to work, I've been feeling a lot of pain in my left heel of my foot and it doesn't bother me at work. It only bothers me in the morning and in the evening. Well, not so much the morning, more in the evening. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I've just sprained something. <clears throat> and my wife goes, hmm. Kind of sounds like a heel spur because her sister had one. She's kind of sound kind of sounds like a heel spur. I'm like, no, I think that would bother me all day, but maybe not. Maybe the maybe the fact that I work in steel toe boots, it sort of acts like a cast and keeps it wrapped up so that it doesn't move as much and doesn't affect me as much. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's it is one of the things I'm trying to keep an eye on and go, is this every day or is this in my head? Like, am I fabricating this? Because there's that moment right. of doubt. There's that moment of, well, maybe I did well, something. I think- you know, well, I've gathered, and people have told me that we come from very stubborn families. You and I, um, and I don't know what just, you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, self awareness or whatever. Um, but what, what are you look? What mirror are you looking in? <laughs> <laughs> and and you just one, you don't want anything to be wrong. Yeah, and then two, you're just like. Anytime between 30 and 60 is, I think that we tell ourselves we're just getting old right. and that almost becomes our mantra, you know, because I mean, things do change in your body all the time. Um, things that you could eat and have eaten for the last 38 years now bother you mm-hmm. after you eat them. Um, and so you don't, and you don't want to overreact and you're yeah. like, Oh, this, I pulled my muscle. Of course, it's going to take three or four weeks to heal. Yeah. I need to stop being a baby. Um, but, you know. Well, and especially like I my, think, my job is kind of physical. So I go, oh, I got aches and pains. I'm supposed to have aches and pains. This is normal. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when I'm up on my feet all the time being a theater director, you know, I'm up on ladders. I'm carrying this. I'm moving this. You know, I'm all over the place. Plus, and, you got kids hanging on you all the time. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah my little 50-pound weight. Yeah. They're so cute. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, you just, but I, I waited too long, you yeah. know, and there wasn't a lot, there weren't any other options. But then at that point, I didn't know, especially in our pandemic world that we were talking about, you know, what options were going to be available. And so the doctor was like, you have to be out of work for six weeks. And so I didn't know, one, I didn't know how to write lesson plans. Anyway, to wrap my head around who was going to be there and what needed to be where, much less having to do that for someone else to do mm-hmm. for six weeks. And so I was like, okay. So in August, like they were not scheduling surgeries until November. And so I was like, okay, well, put me down for November. And then, because I naively thought, well, with the way things are going, we're probably going to be teaching virtually at that point. And 
we might not have a basketball season, which is, you know, um, Alex's sport to coach, mm-hmm. head coach wise. But we were going strong. I mean, we had more students in the building. They were getting ready for the season. We had, they never shut down football or volleyball. You know, individual teams were shut down, but not the whole, you know, sports in general. So I was like, I need to wait. So I did wait. I did um, leave school two weeks early um, because with the six to eight week timeline of recovery, I still wanted to have just a little bit of time to maybe have a vacation. And so you could also be, you know, 100% once school starts back. Yes. So you could have full recovery and not have to worry about this as well. So I I think that was smart. And I'm glad they were able to schedule it where you had plenty of time for that. Um, And I do hope that you guys get get to have some time off this summer. I know that Alex is probably coaching during the summer as well, um, as both of you tend to do. Um, as summer cools around, yeah, um, I'll be teaching a class in two weeks. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the computer. But. Yeah, a lot of people think, oh, teachers they get the summers off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, no, no. <laughs> no, no. not exactly. Maybe July. Not exactly, July. especially if you if you teach online or if you or if you're a coach, yep. there's extra stuff going on year round. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that's kind of why I've not bothered you guys as much because I know that you're so busy. So I've just tried to text here and there and check in with Alex and make sure you guys are okay. And, you know, just, and, and I know he's busy all the time. So I'm just like, eh, I'll hear from him when he's not busy, I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> you know, no, you know, we, we love everybody. We yeah. are so excited that the world's finally opening up and we might get to see people. In <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was happy to, um, mom invited us over to have dinner with, uh, Michael and Amber and the kids. And, and mm-hmm. it was a Sunday, uh, that I was supposed to go to work later on Monday. And they called me while I was there. I was like, Oh, you need to be on this route. So you got to go to bed. Like, I don't know. Now will be good. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> I, I got to eat and go home now. Cause I should be asleep. <laughs> I was like, sorry guys. Uh, but it was nice that they were comfortable with us coming over without wearing masks and able to eat dinner and hang out and stuff like that. And I think that was just before mom, uh, came to visit you and stay with you and help you out. Um, which I've been trying to, to touch base with Dan and see that he's okay. And, you know, he's doing fine. He, he said he had a bee incident where his bee stung him in the face one day. And I was like, why did I told Alex, I did not want any of our hobbies in retirement to be things that could sting or bite us. He's, he's like, well, I took the mask off to look at this. And I was like, well, wait, stop, stop, stop. Why would, why would you take off the mask? You know how this works. And he's like, they just stung me three times. And I was like, none of that sounds fun. Like, no, why? the one was enough. That's like one step um, away from him going, I don't know. I decided to raise poisonous snakes in the backyard. I mean, why not? You know. Well, they keep finding them and she'll send me pictures. And I was like, this does not make me want to come visit you. Yeah. I, I mean, and I, I totally, there. I totally I understand his obsession with it, especially with the fact that his dad was in, you know, an entomologist, a mm-hmm. world renowned entomologist. I mean, okay. if anybody doesn't know and is curious, Google Clough Hopla, C-L-U-F-F. And you're going to be like, holy crap. Yeah. That's, uh, that's our stepdad's, uh, father. Uh, <laughs> so obviously Dan has an affinity to the bees because of his dad. And I get that. Mm-hmm. I totally understand. And the honey's delicious. So I am thankful. It is delicious. Whenever that I love comes it around. in my tea. Yeah. I do love that part, but I just don't know if stinging is worth it. But. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd rather him not get stung. And uh, 
we had a little discussion about that. So maybe he'll be a little safer now. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> good. <laughs> good. Thank you for but, taking uh, one for the team for that Yeah. You know, we all do our part, right? <laughs> it takes a village to raise a kid. Sometimes it takes a village to, right. to, to raise your parents. You know? <laughs> That's right. Are we making the best decisions here? Uh, I don't think so. I, I stay awake at night wondering. <laughs> I don't know. L- lately, my discussions with them have been, so how much is enough to retire? <laughs> and, they, and they keep saying, you should talk to a person. Get a person. They're really helpful. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but I'm kind of asking your opinion. Because <laughs> I mean, I know, we... I'm accidentally, I've accidentally made it to 47. And I know that if, if things keep happening the way they're happening, I'm going to accidentally make it to 57 and eventually have to retire. So <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when you're younger, you never think about that. And the older you get, you're like, Am I doing the right thing? You're like, hmm, maybe I, know, I, should, maybe I, I asked, should talk to people. I never, I never did the state retirement plan because I never knew if I was, because at 25, when I started working at Lander, I was like, I didn't know anything about retirement. I didn't yeah. know about all these fancy words that they're throwing at me, but um, they were like, well, this one, you have to be vested in the state for like eight years. And I was like, well, I had to Google like what vested means. Um, but like to get your retirement. And so I was like, that sounds like such a long time from now. And so I was like, well, what's this other one? Like where you could take it with you when you move jobs or whatever. And so um, I did that one. So it's the optional retirement plan. And so, but they told me that I could retire when I was 59 and a half. Mm. So that's my goal. 59 and a half. That sounds like a good goal. I wonder if I can make it that long. <laughs> long as I stay away from bailing wire, I should be okay. Oh, goodness. I was so excited to see your new glasses. They look yeah. good. Well, I mean, I can see, I can see without them, but I, I got some reading glasses for when I'm, when I'm having difficulty focusing on something tiny. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, vision's back to normal. I mean, your safety, golf, your My safety, safety glasses. Goggles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They look good. Yeah, Dolores bought them. Good a, choice she bought a picture for the bathroom and, and she's like, we need to put this in a frame. And I went out to the garage and I, I grabbed the box of wire down and I was like, Ooh, glasses. I was like, <laughs> so I come in and I showed her, I was like, look, honey. She's like, let me take your picture. <laughs> she's giggling while she's taking the picture. That's right. <laughs> she's like, oh, I'm sending this to everyone. Deal. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fun times. Woo. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, we've definitely taken that what doesn't kill us makes it stronger mantra to heart, I think. Yep. Well, and I've said years ago that if I'm if I'm meant to walk through the horrible stuff so that other people don't have to, then so be it. You know, maybe maybe I'm the cautionary tale. So yep. part of being the big brother, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, listen. I got to go run some errands and I appreciate you doing this and I've had a great time doing this. This has been fun and I want to do more of this and I know that you're stuck at home and if, uh, if you want to do this on another time, like just let me know. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to consume some, some family friendly content that you could watch uh, without kids as well. And then we can talk about it. So if we see something cool to watch, like we can both watch it and then talk about it because I'm geeking out with, with Treadaway about Star Wars and, I know that most most people don't care as much about Star Wars as I do, but but I found a person that does. So <laughs> I've been trying to <laughs> I've been trying to do one with him on a regular basis to talk about all the Star Wars glory that is there. 
Um, but yeah, I, I want to do this again. Um, so let's, uh, let's have a plan to have a plan and your people do my people and we'll have, they'll have lunch and, <laughs> and we'll get back together and we'll Sounds do it again. Great. Thank All you right. for having me. I love it. Uh, give everybody a hug for me. Uh, everybody who's listening, if you enjoyed this, please let us know. If you didn't, uh, please write my buddy Greg at 5 and 40 at gmail.com <laughs> and send him a Bitcoin so that he knows you mean business and tell him tell him how horrible you think it is. And he'll totally appreciate it. And he'll let me know. And then we'll, our complaint department will take care of it. Um, but if you enjoyed it, like reach out to us at stuffiheard.com and, and, and we'll be happy to, to give you a thumbs up and a thank you and all that stuff. And uh, if you like this, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. And always end this by saying, cue the cow. Just something silly we came up with to end it. So cue the cow.